warning. This podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Oh, shit. Did we... Are we... I think we might have done the thing. We did. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. We are live once again. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today... As is like most days, I've got at least one of my cohorts here with me. We may or may not have a couple of other delinquents dropping in, depending on if uh, their technology works with them today. It's not me for a change, so we'll ride it out. But uh, before we get too far into it, across the octagon from me, as it were here, my Wednesday night homeboy, my brother from another mother, TJ, how the fuck are you doing this evening, my pal? I'm doing fan-fucking-tastic. Ready to talk some shit, and God, I need to follow up on some things that happened this last weekend. I really do. Absolutely. Fucking major things that have been going through my head over and over and over since Saturday. Absolutely. Fucking excellent. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, as it were, of today's episode, the, the reason for today's show, the UFC on ESPN 5 slash UFC Fight Night Newark semicolon Lollard versus Covington. Fucking 900 character long name. Uh, before we get into that, we will start things off as we like to do around here with a little uh, news and recent events. Um, a couple things I do want to go over here, and then I absolutely will yield the floor to TJ because we we both agree that there are several things from last week that we definitely want to address here. Um, but before we get to that, let me run down a couple of quick things here. Um, first and foremost, during the course of the last week, almost every single fight on the UFC Uruguay card that they have been planning coming up here, I believe it's the one right after UFC 242, almost every single fight on that card has been scrapped in the course of the last nine days because one or both members of almost every single planned card for that fight, top to bottom, has gotten injured. One after another, after another, literally this entire card has fallen apart in the course of a week and a couple of days here. And that sucks. You never want to hear that. But it's one of those things where now we're going to get to watch and see how the UFC reshuffles things because there was, I believe it was 10 fights in total that have fallen apart in the last nine days because of injuries. That's an entire reshifting of a card that's not that far out. So they are definitely going to have to pull some straws out of some interesting places to put that one back together. You know, there's one thing I do wonder about that. Are they going to scrap the card entirely? I, I, I'm doubtful that they will because I think that's one of their first in Uruguay, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe it is. It's, it's definitely... Um, so it's not something you can just scrap. Yeah. And I'm sure when you're doing something like that as a first event in a new, new territory, you have to have a fucking backup plan in place. Although, uh, albeit as me, as many people have gotten injured on this card and strapped, we haven't seen this many strapped so far this year, I think. Yeah, that's as, true. As far as injuries are concerned, there's, don't get me wrong, there's been a couple fuck-ups like uh, 
um, you know, um, certain sugar um, trains that were derailed because um, their sugar that they were taking was not of the right variety. And right. A little too sweet. I'm just saying. But yeah, albeit from those, we haven't seen a lot of injury mixes on cards this year, which is, to be honest, we're fucking, we're into August now. It's August 1st. Right. That's fucking amazing in itself, because normally there's like one or two every card, guaranteed. And we haven't seen that a lot, which, to be honest, I think that was just fucking karma coming around to bite us in the ass. And here, bam, we're going to give it to y'all in one fucking shot. Yeah, we got really spoiled early on in the year, so it's definitely starting to balance itself back out. It's just, it's a little odd to see that many in such a short fucking period. But that's when we get to see how the uh, UFC brass really get to handle hot coals, because, boy, there's some fucking juggling that's got to be done now. But speaking of interesting juggling and uh, potentially dropped balls... Uh, a fight that has just been announced this last week that I am very interested to see how it shakes out. Uh, September 21st, the card will now be headlined as of the last mention by one Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. That has some interesting potential because if you go back and watch that Korean zombie versus Yair fight, the zombie was beating the brakes off of Yair right up until that moment at the very last possible second when the luckiest fluke of lucky fluke up elbows landed miraculously. And I don't see Stevens giving him that opportunity because I love me some zombie, but the one thing I will say about little big mouth Stevens is that that son of a bitch can put a real hard pace on you. He can put a lot of pressure on you real quick and Yair likes to fight from distance. He likes to be rangy and have the ability to move around. And Stevens will put you in the motherfucking phone booth. He will box you in and keep you there until you start wilting. I don't know if that's going to work out in Yair's favor unless he puts some serious work in his fucking game between now and then. He's really going to have to because, you know, what? Uh, there's no way he can have lightning strike twice. Because, look, at the end of that fight when that happened against Queen Zombie, he was in a phone booth at the end of that fight. When that actually happened, that was the last stitch. I need to throw something. That was the, um, he won fucking a $10 million lottery there and didn't even make 10 million for that knockoff. Uh, Cause literally all of his luck for the rest of his fighting career fucking gone with that bullshit. Yeah. He don't so for that. My hat's off to him for even thinking to do something like that. But you lost every bit of luck you have for the rest of your fucking career in one shot. Cause there's no way of fucking hell that ever happens again anywhere in MMA. Well, yeah. uh, aside from maybe the movies. Right. Well, and least of all from him, because anybody that's watched his career for a long time, not that he's a slouch by any sense of the imagination, but that was something so untraditionally and unconventionally not Yair style that there's no way that that's something that he's been practicing and then just thought in the moment to use that. I agree with you hundred percent was a fucking pure move of desperation. And I, I've got to do something here. I'm about to get my ass handed to me and it just so happened to work, but you're not going to get that same opportunity with Stevens. I don't think so. That's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. That's it. That was his blind squirrel finding a nut moment. That's what that yeah. was. I, I think he definitely poured the rest of that horseshoe out for that one. And I don't know if he's going to have anything left in the tank for Stevens. And he is definitely going to need it. Good God, yes. 
But speaking of odd matchups that we definitely are going to want to watch and see how they play out, um, they have announced, uh, confirmed as of yesterday, last I saw, uh, October 12th, Mackenzie Dern returns back to face Amanda Rebus. Now, Dern is very much still riding a hype train at this point in the game. Rebus, on the other hand, is coming off of a spectacular performance that we just saw from her not too long ago. So this might legitimately be one of the first times we're going to get a chance to see what Mackenzie Dern can do when you put legitimate pressure on her because Rebus was an absolute animal in her last match and she was absolutely impressive. And if she can put that same kind of pressure against Mackenzie Dern, who is not really the greatest under pressure unless she can get a good lock on you. And Rebus was pretty damn agile when she was out there last. So I don't know. That's going to be an interesting one to watch unfold as well. So we've got that coming up in October. What I want to know about that fight is, how is Mackenzie Dern going to come out after going through the trauma she just went through? And I'm saying trauma like this because for the kid, that's a trauma. Doesn't it's matter who you absolutely, are. Absolutely. It's you know, something that's a thousand times the size of where the orifice it's coming out of. <laughs> that's a trauma. It doesn't matter who the fuck you are. It, don't get me wrong. Congratulations. Enjoy parenthood. But how are you going to come back from that? And how, how, how are you training while you're pregnant? Because, you know, that's nine months off, plus your training camps that you have to do afterwards to get back to weight. Yep. Uh, I'm just saying that's a fucking tall task for anybody. So we'll see how she does coming back off there. I think that's going to derail her hype train, though, because I think that time off with being pregnant and not being able to train to the fullest, I'm sure she was doing, like, some light yeah, grappling yeah, or I, something I agree. like that. I don't that. doubt that she was sitting around by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know if you could – keep training while pregnant to the level that you need to come back and then come right up against somebody like Rebus. No, I know when I was training in Los Angeles, there was a lady who came to the gym. She's pregnant. She trained all the way up until she was about eight months. Then last month, that's when she stopped grappling completely. Now, she wasn't doing any rolling or anything, but she was in there at least going through the motions, getting the muscle memory and all that down. So, who knows? She might have picked up a trick or two, like, um, how to get off your tummy when you're a teeter-totter. Maybe. You never know. Now, next little thing I want to mention here real quick. Um, doesn't so much directly affect the UFC, but it does affect uh, a lot of fighters that we are fans of. Uh, speaking about one in particular here, uh, Rafael Carvalho, um, Bellator, former welterweight champion, has decided that he is not only going to decline the title shot that Bellator offered him at welterweight, he is done fighting at welterweight. Now he is going up to light heavyweight. He has decided that he is not going to make the cut to 185 anymore. He's going to walk a little closer to his natural weight and he's going to play up at 205, even though they offered him the title shot. Now, granted, I don't blame him because the 185 belt is going to be very difficult to peel off the gentleman's waist that it's currently attached to but it would have been a great fight for Carvalho that being said it's nice to see somebody in such a very high position in a title contention to go back and fight for what was once his belt declining that because he doesn't want to make that cut anymore he doesn't want to put that strain on his body he's fighting a little closer to his natural weight that's going to be very interesting to see how Carvalho looks at 205 cutting less weight with bigger mass on him 
downside to that though this is the same thing we've seen over and over going from welterweight to light heavyweight lately when you're going up that that's a big boy step up in competition because those guys are dropping a lot of weight to get to 205 you yep. figure anybody who is under that 265 pound limit can drop down to 205 essentially I mean, yeah yeah i mean you essentially had um the biggest dad bod ever doing it who was probably walking around at 280 normally and fucking dropping to 205 so, and now he won't go back to it because john jones is in the way but that's neither here nor there right i mean you're taking on some really big bodies at 205 so my hat's off to him for doing that and he's also showing the rest of the world that yeah we can just fight our normal weight classes we don't have to fucking cut for all this extra bullshit and to be honest, I hope he does well there because I would like to see somebody who's fighting at their natural weight class actually do well, not somebody who has to drop 40 pounds to get down to or an extra 20 in this case to go to 185 at welterweight. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I honestly hope that he does really well because he was a world shaker at 185. And to think that he was cutting enough weight that he's willing to give up a title shot to fight closer to his natural weight now because he's confident that he's better there than he was at 185. This, I don't feel like, is one of the situations, like you mentioned here lately with the UFC, where we've got Weidman and Rockhold and all these other guys that are making their move from their 185 division where they were doing good up to 205. This is a situation where Carvalho is a big dude and he's a smart dude and he knows how good he is at 185 and he's not where Rockhold or Weidman was down at the lower section of the stack. He's literally the number one contender being offered the title fight. So a dude that hard in the 185 mix still deciding that he's going to give up that 185. I hope it does set a good example. And I hope some guys who are legitimately still valid at 185, but aren't real 185ers will follow suit and start moving up. And we can start to naturally get rid of, not obviously all the weight cutting because that's always going to be a part of fighting, but at least a little more of it. Get it little back, back to a little more reasonable semblance of healthy as, as much as you can in the sense of cutting weight to fucking punch each other in the face. It, not to mention, if he does this, does really well in this fight, he might just decide to bulk up. Exactly. And, and then, then, wants then cut, maybe he wants to cut the 30 or 40 pounds, but he'll still have that fucking yoke frame on him. So, yeah. I mean, which would be scary because he's fucking huge at, at 185. Yeah, and if he decided to bulk and mass up for 205, that's a scary motherfucker. Fuck yeah, he is. I'm saying, I hope he does well because I think we need that because after watching, well, God, why am I why am I gonna say this? After watching Rockhold move up, somebody who was decent at welterweight. Yes. And I, I'm not gonna say he's Yep, he was champion fucking UFC as well. Yep. Yeah, he touched two different belts at 185. He was legit at one he point. Was legitimately a good fighter. Um, however, I didn't like him as a person. He's an overly cocky cocksucker, but that's neither here nor there. I'm thinking purely on the fighting aspect of things. He went from being a very solid fighter to going up a weight class and just absolutely getting fucking decimated by um. No offense here, but right now, a middle-of-the-road fighter. Because uh, dude was ranked number six. Don't get me wrong, that knockout um, definitely pushed him up in the rankings. Oh, yeah. But at the time of the fight, he was ranked number six in light heavyweight. Yep. 
And what did he get out of this for going up a weight class and feeling cocky about? I feel great because it's a less weight cut. I can eat. Got his fucking jaw broke. Literally. Yeah. Literally, literally. got his jaw snapped. So, I'm just saying, I, that's a scary jump for from 185 to 205 because there's a lot of power difference there. Yep. And not to mention, you can see the size difference in between Rockhold and who he is fighting. That's. Yeah, Blahovich is a gigantic gorilla. And even at 205, Rockhold looked like a skeleton compared to. He looked, it was like putting a fucking Suzu pickup up against a goddamn Chevy Duramax. (laughs) They they looked completely out of place, and we knew who was pulling that win. Yep. Well, and from there, Speaking of giant, scary motherfuckers, that brings me to the next gentleman that I want to mention here. Uh, BKFC, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, has announced their headline fight for August 10th, the BKFC 7 event. Melvin Gillard is making his debut into BKFC. The young assassin? Yes. If that name does not sound familiar to you, the second that we finish this show go into Google and watch just a couple, just the top few highlight reels you see for Melvin Gillard. That man is absolutely terrifying, and he's bringing those dangerous hands to bare-knuckle boxing now. That mm. is going to be one hell of an explosion when that man is in the cage. That's fucking crazy, because he was he had a lot of potential in the UFC, but he just couldn't get his ground game together. Yep, couldn't so put his ground game down. They kept getting, he kept getting work on the ground. But man, Don't have to worry about that in bare knuckle. Fucking dynamite hands, though. No ground game to worry about in bare knuckle boxing. To be honest, I'm I'm waiting. I bet you eventually they're gonna pull like fucking Paul Daly or something over there because Semtex had fucking hands too in a shitty ground game. Yes, yes which he does. They're in form, got him kicked out of the UFC forever because his ground game sucked, and Josh Koshtek beat the fuck out of him <laughs> thoroughly. Yeah, but anyways, no, uh, those kind of guys that had really good potential in MMA, but had really good fucking hands and bad ground games, go to Burnham Fight. Go do it, please. You guys have just fucking dynamite. And you knew how to throw them. That's exciting as a fan to see that stuff crossing over, especially when it's guys you know what they can do because you've seen it before already. Don't get me wrong. I like watching the up-and-comers, but knowing that I'm getting a crossover from somebody who is a good, solid, middle-of-the-road MMA fighter, that's going to be a dangerous motherfucker in bare knuckle fighting. That's all I'm saying. Yep. There have been a couple now, and that's it's a weird thing to, to watch, but it's exciting as a fan to see these guys that might not have made it to the top of the stack or where they wanted to in the UFC, but weren't slouches by any stretch of the imagination. When they get released from the UFC, quite a few of them now have gone over to this bare knuckle arena where they don't have to worry about ground game. All they have to do is do the bare knuckle game and guys like Chase Sherman, guys like Chris Lieben, big muscle-bound motherfuckers who only have to worry about standing up and punching you in the face now, and the different rule set of bare knuckle are doing really well. And I think a monster like Melvin Gillard coming to join those ranks is going to definitely kick that fire up a notch or two. Yeah, they're making moves over there at bare knuckle. Hell yeah. And I'm not mad at them at all because they're putting on a hell of a show. So, the next thing that I feel compelled that I have to mention, even though I 
really, really don't want to, but it's one of those fucking weird things that it, should it actually come to fruition, deserves to be talked about. Colby Covington officially invited Donald Trump to this weekend's UFC Newark card, and Trump, as of yesterday afternoon, confirmed that he would be attending. There's no way in fucking hell he attends. I agree, and I genuinely, honestly hope he does not. But on the off chance, because weird shit like that is very much Trump's forte. So on the off chance that 45 does show up in Jersey, it was by the actual invite of Colby Covington. Dude, if, well, okay. I, I, first thing that went through my mind is why the fuck are we even bringing this up? Other than, yes, it made the news. But two, there, I have two things that I really ran through my head when I saw that. One, doubtful he'll show up. Doubtful that Secret Service or anybody else says, yeah, you can go watch an MMA fight like that. Yeah. They're, they're going to nix that right away. However, being as Trump is Trump, he don't give a fuck what anybody says. Exactly. He's going to do what he wants to do. If he does show up, this is kind of a double-edged sword for me. For two reasons. One, I don't think the president needs to be at an MMA fight. It doesn't matter what president it is. Two, the other side of that coin, a president in a fucking MMA fight, that means good things for MMA. Absolutely. No matter who, what president is, they show up for something like that, that's good fucking PR for MMA, period. It Whether is. you like the president that's in there or not, or the guy that invited him there or not. Oh, yeah, well, we're not going to talk about that cocksucker. I don't even, to be honest, I don't want to talk about this at all, but just thinking about it, there's a double-edged sword there because there's, there's a positive and there's a negative side to that connotation. Yep. Oh, is Colby fucking batshit crazy? Yeah, we know that. Which is why that invite went out. Which is why he's still running around like he's a fucking champion. Yeah, but you know what? I'm not gonna lie. I would kind of like to see Trump show up there, just just to say that yeah, there's been a president that showed up to this for our yeah for, for the for the sake of it being a point that we could then make, and that's that's kind of why I wanted to mention it here because that would be the only reason. Other than that, no, you've got other shit to worry about. Get your ass back to fucking work. You don't need to be hanging out with these um, bunch of assholes that are beating the hell out of each other. No offense. I love all these assholes. That's why I watch. And that's why we talk about it. But um, running the country is a little bit more fucking important than watching an MMA fight. You want to watch it? Watch it in the Oval Office on pay-per-view like everybody else. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Well, or in this case, not pay-per-view, but you get the fucking point. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm sure they get ESPN and Trump Tower Although, and the White House. So I am I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and I mean Jersey's not that far from DC. It's really not. Yeah, I know. So, I know. I, you see him rolling up in old presidential motorcade there and fucking fucking all kinds of shit up. Fucking everything up. Yep. Oh now my question is this are is Colby going to go completely against 
the UFC standard of what they can wear out to the octagon. Do you think he'll wear a MAGA hat out there on fucking Saturday if he knows the president's coming? I think this is one of those weird situations. If if the president actually shows up, I am pretty fucking confident that Colby would go against UFC regulation and he would wear the MAGA hat out to the ring. I, I think he would. I'm pretty sure he would, too. He's that kind of person. Yeah, he's that asshole. I think he actually would. He would go against the UFC and take Look, the fight or whatever. Uh, and... As crazy as Kobe is, I'll give him this. This is the one thing I will give Kobe, is that he sticks by his guns no matter what. Yeah, he is consistent. So uh, you don't have to worry about him being wishy-washy. You know exactly what you're going to get from the guy. Yeah. Which is fucking fantastic. But to be honest... I wish this would not have made the news. I agree. I agree. Look, if you're going to do it, you do that shit in private. In the DMs, yeah. Not on fucking. You slide into old Trump's DMs, because I'm sure you're on the list now. You slide into the DMs there. Yeah, hey, why don't you show up? And when he shows up out of the blue, nobody knows that it was Kobe. I mean, we can all put two and two together and know that it was Kobe. But not doing it in public, we wouldn't have known. So we would have had to speculate. I would have much rather had to speculate about that than actually talk about this bullshit. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like the idea of inviting presidents, but they've got better shit to do. Right. But moving on from there. Now, this upcoming weekend, not a couple weekends ago, like some people tried to tell me, this upcoming weekend is 1FC's Dawn of Heroes events where... Again, just like the last time we had this scenario, both Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez are both fighting on the same card. Now, Demetrius is now fighting at 135 with no weight cut. So he is holding his natural bantamweight status over there in 1FC. The gentleman he is fighting has a 21-10-2-1 record and is now on a win-loss-win-loss variant coming off. So... He doesn't have an easy guy up ahead of him, and he's got a guy that's looking to try and hold some sort of a win streak. That's going to be a tough fight. But then you look over at, at Alvarez's opponent, Edward Fulyang, 21-7, and seven, and used to be the welterweight champion in his previous organization, and just in the last couple of years has started cutting down to 155, where for some reason Eddie thinks he can still hang. And... Uh, I watched a couple of the highlight reels. This guy's fucking legit, and he hits like a tank. And if Eddie's last outing was any kind of an indication, I genuinely hope that Frankie Edgar has been putting this motherfucker through his paces in the gym and getting him ready because this is realistically going to be one of the toughest fights that we may have seen Eddie Alvarez take since becoming a pro. So 1FC definitely has some absolutely top fucking class, world caliber athletes over there, and... It's interesting to see how guys like Demetrius, who are absolutely doing well over there, but not nearly as as easy of a glide as it seemed when he was in the UFC, and then guys like Eddie, who in their prime were absolute fucking world breakers as well, and came over to 1FC and have just been getting ragdolled over there by the guys that they've got. So if you're not following 1FC, they are putting on some spectacular combat and bringing in some names that are internationally recognizable and putting them in seriously tough fights. So this weekend, it's actually on Friday. It's on tomorrow. So that, if you're looking for something to get you warmed up for Saturday's event, is an excellent thing to consider because there's going to be some fucking fireworks on that card. They don't just do uh, 
regular MMA. They've got some Muay Thai matches on there. There are some kickboxing matches on there. They do everything all on one card. So if you're looking for a little warm-up to this weekend's UFC newer card, the 1FC Dawn of Heroes card Friday is absolutely something I would recommend everybody keep an eye out for. You know, that, that's going to be a good one. I'm, I'm excited to see that as well because, man, so, although I'm going to have to switch channels um, this weekend because um, I do, they do have a, a lot of practice and factors on that I have to watch on Friday night. So, oh, shit. I kind of have to flip back and forth there. But by the way, no, 1FC, they're making some fucking big moves too. Those, and what's, you did make a fucking fantastic mention. Neither one of these guys have had an easy go of it. Demetrius has not. Fucking neither has Eddie Alvarez. And watching that, that makes me wonder how bad were some of the people that they were fighting in the UFC where they looked fucking fantastic. And and to that point, um, another weird nerd MMA flex here, but uh, I was watching the Rico Verhoeven interview with Joe Rogan the other day. And he had mentioned that some of these guys from 1FC, that 1FC itself in Asia has something like 10 times the market, 10 times the views and 10 times the popularity over there than the UFC does over the course of the world. Like they've got a bigger production. They've got more fighters and their just overall reach is something like 10 times what the UFC's is. But because the UFC is so predominant in the USA, we don't really get to hear a lot about this until we get guys like Demetrius and Eddie that go over there. And then we see just like this. Yeah, because then they start picking it up on stuff like Sports Center and shit like that, where they start talking about that because they know how big that name was. So that's smaller promotion and um, allegedly is fucking, they have, they have a deep well of fighters over there. Way deep, especially in the weight classes that those guys are in. You look at compared to the well that's in the UFC. UFC's well for well, let's say let's just say phantom weight and flyweight alone. Right. Not that fucking deep. There's a reason why you have cringe hudo fucking running two divisions right now. Unfortunately, uh, potentially well, three allegedly. You know that dude can go f- um take his shiny gold medal and stick it as up at his ass. That's all I'm saying. But oh, he's um, got a gold medal? I had I hadn't heard. I didn't say what kind of metal it was. I just said a shiny metal, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. But if it's gold, it's gold. Whatever it is, hopefully it doesn't come out shit stained when he's done with it. But no, right. that that definitely tells me though that there there's deeper divisions elsewhere where a lot of these guys, because they don't get the coverage, they're not getting signed in the UFC because we have garbage, fucking trash. Like people who shall not be mentioned getting signed instead because mm-hmm. they're on the USA front versus internationally. Hopefully that changes though once those UFC fucking training areas open up in fucking China and other parts yeah. of Southeast Asia there where you're going to start getting more of those. Because it's been an ugly thing otherwise because those divisions... I've lost interest in them. We, I was saying right before we came live, yep. the flyweight division, I've lost interest in through the UFC. It's not exciting to me like it used to be. Yeah. I, I, even the bantamweight division is getting that way. 
there's still some fighters in there that yeah they'll they'll trip my trigger watch but for the most part those divisions in the ufc no offense to any of those guys because they've all made the big show right it's just not interesting anymore and i think part of that is, is i don't think the ufc is promoting those two divisions as well as they should be they're they're cherry picking one or two fighters out of those divisions and they're promoting them but not promoting the division because everybody wants to see middleweight welterweight light heavyweight heavyweight they want to see knockouts they want to see shit like that look i get it knockouts exactly i get it that stuff sells but dude guys go watch a good flyweight match go watch a good fucking bantamweight match where those guys don't stop moving yeah. Just keep going and going and going. Oh, oh, fuck, even look for example this last weekend, Max Holloway and fucking Frankie, man. Frankie, those two did not stop moving for five fucking rounds. They kept going and going and going. Yep. It's those types of fights that I really enjoyed. They may not have gone to the ground, so you didn't see a lot of scrambles, but that was the kind of fight you want to see. That, that's that was the thing war. that Phantom and Flyweight do. Yeah, that was a bantamweight war or a featherweight war. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going. It just—it's kind of a sad thing to see that the bantam and flyweight divisions have just gone to shit. The only bantam and flyweights I want to watch now, women's divisions. Fuck yes, because they're way better off right now than the fucking males bantam and flyweight. That's all I'm oh, saying. Yeah. But that's where I feel about that situation. And way to go, one FC at having such a fucking deep division. My hat's off. I love it. Well, and to touch on a a point that you made there earlier, just like a certain asshole who will remain nameless because I don't talk about that piece of shit on my channel other than making reference of him for a situation like this, um, another case that can be made in the argument that several of us share in that that piece of shit should not be in the UFC is a perfect example illustrated by this week's latest news from a fellow Dana White contender series winner from earlier this month, uh, Tricoli won by decision, which Dana has mentioned several times. He won't be giving out contracts to guys who don't get the finish. Bullshit. Didn't get the finish. Still got his contract. And then turned around and immediately pissed hot for steroids. Didn't even get his first match in the actual UFC because he pissed hot for steroids for an in and out of competition sample, both confirmed. I just want to say, in case anybody missed it, that was my surprise face. (laughs) Now, uh, as is the case in all of these latest pops like this, uh, he immediately blamed his supplements and said that he must have had a a tainted supplement, but unfortunately cannot afford the $500 per sample to send his supplements off to be tested. So they'll never know what it was that might have caused the flag to take it, but he's not disputing it at all and was officially released from the UFC before ever getting to compete one time. Now, this is a perfect example of what I keep saying over and over and over again. I understand the principle of what used to be the Tuesday night is now the Dana White contender series because it's a catchier fucking name, but I understand the premise of that. It's an in-house show where they can bring smaller talent, amateur guys trying to go pro in to see if they're ready for the caliber of entertainment that the UFC provides. At the same time, ever since this fucking series was created, 
every time a guy gets a spectacular win or gets, you know, a big finish or gets a contract for a good fight on a contender series event, they act like it's a guy who's been in the UFC for a decade beating another legend who's been in the UFC for another decade. And that's a bad narrative to create because you're taking guys who are legitimately and not, not trying to, you know, talk shit, but you're taking soup cans and you're putting them against soup cans. And when one crushes the other, you're acting like the guy just won a fucking world title. And not only does that set a bad precedent for casual fans and for the newer fans seeing this, thinking that, you know, this guy's the greatest shit since sliced bread. No, he just beat another fucking soup can. But then on top of that, these guys get it in their head that they're fucking world breakers because they just beat another soup can in a soup can versus soup can audition. I understand the premise of the show, but the way that it's being handled is creating assholes like Tricoli, who pissed hot immediately and then downplayed it, and he who shall not be named, who got a win against a big fucking soup can on the Contender Series and was given a contract and has fought relative soup cans since he's been in the fucking UFC. Stop letting soup cans be treated like they're fucking legends because they beat another soup can. That's what Tuesday night, excuse me, the Dana White Contender Series is seeming to be, you know, what it's all becoming now. And it's even contradictory to the extent that even Dana saying, you know, if you're not going to go for the finish, if you don't get the finish, you're not going to get a contract. And then signing fucking cheaters like this. Why are we still doing this shit? Why are we filming and trying to make a thing out of this, but you won't push Ultimate Fighter anymore? I don't, I don't fucking get it, man. It is the one biggest problem I have of the recent event with Tricoli. Why, if you say I can't afford the five hundred dollars to send in the samples, you're fucking lying. Number one, you might not be able to have that money, but you know what? If your career and that goal you've set for yourself as the UFC depends on it, you will beg, steal, fucking borrow. You will rob Peter to pay Paul to get those samples in there. If you think that was what would cost it, when you say you don't have the money or you can't afford it. That is a fucking cop-out answer, which tells me you know you were fucking juicing. You got busted. Guess what? I wish they would have caught your ass before the Contender Series so you didn't have that fucking opportunity because you wasted it on somebody else who could possibly have gotten that shot. The biggest problem I have with this Contender Series bullshit, they're treating these guys like they're fucking the new next star in the UFC. No, you're fucking not. You are a soup can who beat another soup can who needs to go fight more soup cans. Not get thrown in the limelight. There's a reason why Tricoli, um, I'm going to say it now, fuck it, the whole name. Trishon O'Malley. Fucking popped hot. Coming off Contender Series. Twice in a row. Twice. Twice in a row at that. But, no. For that kind of shit, why? Why are we doing this contender series? Go back to the Ultimate Fighter. Put those 15 guys in under fucking 20 guys in a house. Get two coaches in there and their teams. Let them duke it out for fucking 12, 18 weeks. Whatever you guys want to schedule that out. Do a live fucking finale show like you were doing before. Yep. Look, because you know what? Everyone... Every one of those guys, when they were in that house, they know exactly what supplements are in that house because they're only allowed to live in that house. 
it didn't have a whole lot of pop and hot when it was just ultimate fighter and you watch these fucking soup cans contend and live and not have to worry about their supplement regiments and that's it so you're pulling rent look you can pull any tom dick or harry off the fucking street if he knows how to fight sure we'll sign you to a contender series fight and then uh, if you win we'll sign you to a fucking fight in the ufc it seems like there's a growing trend here where a lot more of them are going to end up popping hot. To be honest, I'm surprised um, Voldemort hasn't been fucking popped hot yet either. Yet. yet. I'm waiting for that. And I say yet because it's probably coming. Yeah. Although, um, I, I think I, I'm, I'm more beside myself as, look, if you're going to say some shit like, I think it was the supplements, but I don't have fucking money to pay to have them send him. Dude, don't even give him a fucking excuse like that. Yeah, don't, just, don't even just, make this just say, okay, I accept the defeat. But when you say I don't have the fucking money for it, that tells me you're lying like a fucking rug. Yep. I would I'm gladly wipe my fucking feet on you while you're laying on the ground right now. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, that's an overhyped series. I think it's fucking stupid. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the idea. I like the premise behind it. Exactly. Exactly. The premise is fucking fantastic. You're giving some guys that are relative nobodies. Well, they are. I can't say relative. They're fucking nobodies. They are nobodies, yeah. No offense to anybody who's been on the Contender Series if you run across this, but you guys are fucking nobodies at this point. Until you made a name for yourself working up through the ranks. I know some of you guys are pro already, but you're pro in some... You're, look, this is that one thing. You're a big fish in a little bitty, bitty tiny pond. You're fighting another big fish from another itty bitty tiny pond. You two clash. It's like watching fucking minnows go to work at each other. <laughs> Not a big deal. One of you wins. So you come out looking like a perch. Like a perch. Itty bitty, itty bitty tiny fish. Then what does the UFC want to do? They want to throw you in with something a little bit bigger than a perch. But call you like you're a fucking great white. Well, and part of the problem is that there have legitimately been a couple of people. Super Sadiq is a fucking spectacular example. He came up through the Contender Series as a nobody, had very, very little hype about him whatsoever. Spectacular performance on the Contender Series, but they didn't throw him directly to the Sharks. They gave him a couple more lower-tier, unranked soup cans in the UFC when he came in, and they progressively chucking him up and he kept pace he has put on spectacular performances and, and i think that's the biggest issue yeah but he's not the standard he's the exception and they don't seem yeah. to realize that i think i think what they think is we're grooming these guys to get into that fucking you're gonna be a headliner one day no yeah. it's look, okay look at it like this um if you're watching this and you live in the united states you're gonna understand this when I was about seven, six, seven years old, I started playing flag football. Every little kid's dream that lives in the Midwest, when you start playing football, at my age, I wanted to be Joe Montana. I wanted to be Jerry Rice. I wanted to be Emmett Smith. I wanted to be Barry Sanders. I wanted to be a pro NFL football player. Man, when I was six or seven, I was fucking good. 
I was good until I was about 12, 13, 14. Maybe I'll even say 15. I was pretty good. Then I realized the way my body changed. I wasn't getting as tall as I should. I ended up playing lineman. So I didn't get to be Barry or Emmett or Joe Montana anymore. I ended up playing line. Either on the defensive or offensive side of the ball. And as I got older, my junior and senior year in high school, I realized that is not going to pan out for me. Those people who make pro careers in any pro sport, whether it's football, baseball, soccer, MMA, basketball, whatever, your chances of actually making it to that big show are slim to fucking none. So when you take this itty-bitty fucking fish that was the big fish in their tiny little pond in bumfuck nowhere, Iowa, no offense to anybody in Iowa, (laughs) but you're this itty-bitty tiny fish that seems really big where you're at because of the pond you came out of, and you get thrown into the fucking ocean, those sharks are going to eat you alive. The problem with this is they think they're going to groom this itty-bitty fish to be able to take out these big sharks. No, it doesn't always work that way. In fact, 99 times out of 100, that motherfucker fails to even take his first breath before he's eaten alive. Yep. And some of them can't manage to jump out of the pond once they hit that air before they even hit the water into the ocean. They're dying fucking right in between. A la fucking pissing hot twice. Or, oh, I can't afford to send in my fucking shit. No. But it, look, the Contender Series, it's a cool fucking idea. And I love the idea of it. How about this? We take the Contender Series. You win. You get into the Ultimate Fighter. See, that's all, that's what I thought that they should have done from the fucking beginning. Like, if you're going to have a Contender Series like this, let the winners from the Contender Series matches fill up the slots in the Ultimate Fighter house. Exactly. That- getting them pissed to get into the ultimate fighter house by being on the contender series they're also proving that they belong in the contender series because or in uh, ultimate fighter rather because if you've watched that over the years granted we've had some fucking spectacular talent come out of ultimate fighter but you've also seen in almost every season there's at least a soup can or two that they quite literally just bring in off the street who's never even had an amateur match before and has no business being yep. this would fix that it, it, that's 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 my fucking that's my idea behind that because you know what look I, I like the idea of the contender series because you can get these nobodies that are the big fish in the small pond that might have some fucking potential with the right coaching uh, these big fishes in small ponds they don't have the right coaching because where they're at they have the best coaching that they can get in that itty bitty pond exactly and that's what makes them good in their pond you bring them into something like the ultimate fighter because they won a contender series fight they get a solid coach of a solid ufc representative a solid fighter there along with their team teaching you you have that opportunity to grow throughout those weeks now you still have to fucking perform while you're there but right if they want to groom fighters and put them into that situation do it that way it works out good for all of us that's all i'm saying hell yeah well, and moving on from there, there's an interesting little tidbit that may tie into some of the situations that we were just talking about here with the Contender Series. Um, the ABC, the Athletic uh, Athletic Combat Sports Commission, 
the rule set creators essentially for all of combat sports had a meeting this week and unanimously passed a new amendment to the rule set determining and establishing the state uh, excuse me the status for what determines a grounded fighter to be the rules have officially been changed by them now it's just a matter of these new rules being adopted by the various commissions the rules have changed to conclude as such a grounded fighter is now considered any fighter with more than just the balls of his feet touching the mat but more than just his fingers so you cannot lean over and just put your hands on the ground and be considered a fighter but if the palm of your hand is flat against the octagon as well as both of your feet you are considered now a grounded fighter and cannot be neat or kicked to the head i like that because there was a lot of guys who were playing the finger touch game as the rules were starting to be adopted and starting to be changed that's not a fucking thing anymore it specifically says in the new rule a fighter with his fingers and balls of feet touching the floor would not be considered grounded must be at least his palms so you can't play that fucking game anymore either you're leaned over far enough to where you shouldn't be struck like you were grounded or you're not if you've just got your hands out you're not fucking grounded anymore just touching fingers isn't going to save you anymore and i like that ruling i think that's going to be implemented very quickly because that's not a huge change to the rules yeah but it will make a huge difference and it takes away that uh bogus tap tap fucking bullshit game yep because there were several fighters in the last year or so who have gotten a decent little bit of notoriety in the fan world for playing the finger touch game to keep themselves from getting struck just like that and that shit's not gonna fly anymore um one more quick little fight announcement here i do want to take a moment to mention um just it was rumored a day before yesterday that they were in talks but nothing was finished as of i believe it was 8 30 or 9 o'clock my time last night i did see the official confirmation it is set it is official now uh the headline for the november 2nd ufc card will be Derek the Black Beast Lewis versus Blagoy Ivanov. Now, I'm not sure if this is the UFC actually giving Ivanov a chance to legitimately move up because his most recent performances have been pretty considerable given that he was one hell of a soup can when he first got here. Or if this is one of those situations where they're throwing the Black Beast what they think is still a soup can because He's just coming off of back surgery, and this is going to be his first actual match since he's been operated on because he's been out for a little while since his fight with Cormier. Now, either way this goes, if you've been following social media, the Black Beast is getting back to it. He's been showing a lot more of his training videos. The man is is putting the hours in. He's putting that sweat equity back into his career, and as much as he likes to say he just does this for the money, he doesn't like fighting, he sure the fuck is training for like a guy who really likes fighting and is not just doing this for the money because he's putting in the hours, he's putting in the sweat literally, and he's putting the grind together. You can see him getting more agile. He's loosening up the more he goes. We might be seeing a Black Beast who's legitimately going to try and come make a heavyweight run here again pretty soon. I honestly hope he does. I love Derek Luce. I really do. I just like his whole attitude and mantra behind it. Hell yeah. Dude, he's the he's the um, what I like to call the everyday man's man of UFC right now because you know what, dude, my balls is hot. My balls was hot, man. And I think my favorite fucking quote of all time: <coughs> "Where's all Ronda Rousey's ass at?" 
back when she was getting beat on by her boyfriend. That shit made me laugh my ass off. Not to mention, I hope he's doing better after back surgery because I know that was affecting a fuck ton of his performances. You could see it in some of his fights where his back would go out and that was fucking all she wrote. So it, it'll definitely be a good, solid thing to see him come back. Although, uh, I don't know. That's a fucking tall task right now, dude. Uh, coming off of back surgery, I know this is not a soup can anymore, in my opinion. He's a good, solid, middle-of-the-road fighter. I don't, do I think he's up to the, the Derek Lewis level? No, he, he, but he think he's hovering right around it there. I mean, Lewis had a good fucking run of the title, although the UFC did kind of fuck him throwing him, in to, throwing him into it early before he wanted to, but, you know, they did back that dump truck full of money up and fucking pull it out. Now, you're saying he was fuck, he's been training a lot. Yeah, of course he's fucking training a lot. He probably feels a lot better. That's probably why he wasn't training so much before. And, dude, look, whether you do it for the money or not, you got to pay for that expensive ass back shortage. Because guess what? If you're doing this as a living, you went to a very pricey doctor who knows very well what they're doing. And so... I'm sure that dump truck full of money that they gave him to fight Cormier may have just barely covered the bills on that. So he's got to put some more in the bank to keep it old mama happy there. So that way um, he can, um, as he would say, uh, get ready because I'm going deep, you know? Right. <laughs> that dude has some of the most colorful fucking post-fight interviews ever. And I think that's why I like him so much other than the fact of his one nod. One punch knockout ability, which is fucking fantastic as well. Hell yeah. But from talking about hot balls to uh, talking about some of the biggest set of swinging balls we have seen, uh, last weekend's UFC 240 card. Now, we said right out the gate that this was a card that had a lot of filler and a lot of fluff on it, and it sure the fuck did. Now, granted, some of those fights definitely lived up to and exceeded expectations and then you had some fights that just flat out were bizarre now there was little to no doubt in my mind that the frankie edgar max holloway fight was going to be a fucking war and sure the fuck enough it was an absolute war um it went very similar to kind of how a lot of us thought that it was going to go but it was absolutely a fucking war nonetheless the thing that really surprised me the most, and not just the fight, but the aftermath of it, was the Chris Cyborg versus Felicia Spencer fight. Now, not only was Felicia Spencer the first woman in professional mixed martial arts history to cut Chris Cyborg with a very nicely timed flying elbow that just lined her forehead open with fucking blood for, you know, you mean her five head. You mean her five head? Yeah. yeah five, five head. That's finger wide. Yeah. But uh, she not she stood there and took every single power shot that Cyborg threw at her for three full rounds. Never once looked rocked. Never once looked in danger. Kept pushing forward and putting the pressure on Cyborg. Landed odd combinations on Cyborg. Had her on her heels several times was putting Cyborg in some of the most compromising positions I remember ever seeing her in, in a fight pre-2009, of course. You know, 
this is something that um i did not think i was gonna see out of this fight this was the one fight where i was like okay cyborg wins this fucking first round maybe second round but i did not see this going this way look i, I want to say this alicia spencer impressed me so goddamn much during this fight it was fucking retarded to yeah. think she was a 7-0 7-0 fucking fighter coming over from a different promotion had one fight in the ufc and then went straight to cyborg what the fuck dude and asked for that fight and she fucking hell dude she told the line there damn right she was literally phone boothing with her sometimes i what's the scary part is i think if they'd have had two more rounds cyborg would have fucking gassed I agree. Felicia did not look gassed at all. No, but, she was just as strong at the end of the third as she was at the beginning of the first, yeah, she, realistically. She was a little beat up, but, I mean, you're going to have that when you're getting hit by a fucking semi-truck of a Yeah, look at the shots that she took. But, goddamn, the chin on that motherfucker? Dude, I'm saying, for that entire division, they're on fucking notice. Whether she I, won that fight or not, be afraid of Felicia Spencer. There's one, look, this is the one... The one thing I always say about the women's division, most of them need work with their hands. Yeah. Felicia is no exception here. If she gets her boxing game on point or any sort of just stand-up striking, whether it's Muay Thai striking, whatever, she gets that on point, she'll be a division killer. Yeah. Like, um, I'm sorry, but I'll say it right now. If she can get that on point with the shot she took from Cyborg, I think she could take out Nunes. Yeah, at 145, I agree. And I at was 145, just say, yeah. She puts together a little bit tighter striking, gets her defense a little bit cleaner, gets her striking game a little more on point, as strong of a fucking chin as she's got. And if you watch her highlight reels, she took over the 145 division in Invicta when Cyborg left to come to the UFC. And she didn't get an easy shot. She didn't have an amateur career. She got thrown to the fucking wolves early on. And for a lady who came in, you know, hands essentially up in the air not knowing what she was doing she's put together impressive submissions she's put together impressive striking stoppages she's got a chin that can take the best shots that cyborg can fucking throw if she can tune her game up just a little bit she's a legitimate problem for anyone at 145 and i legitimately mean anyone nunez included you know and here's the thing is when i watched her last fight i was like oh it's a fluke she got a fucking rear naked whatever <laughs> I was like, good on you. Well done. Because you did it against a solid 145. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Megan Anderson is no slouch at all. No, not at all. She's She's got fucking, she's got some good striking, and she does have a good ground game as well. But I was like, oh, Felicia got lucky. No, Felicia's really that good. Yeah, she's Anybody legit. With, here, here's the one problem that I think a lot of people are going to see with the way we're talking about Felicia here. Yeah, she did get work. But she also maintained. She never slowed down. Never slowed down. She kept the same pace for three fucking rounds and could have probably gone another fucking three more. Yeah. Whereas you could progressively watch Cyborg slow down every fucking round. Oh, yeah. The end of that third round, you could tell that Cyborg was at was 100% headhunting, looking for big shots. And when she would throw and Felicia would dodge or Felicia would counter her and then step off, you could see Cyborg was taking 
big, deep breaths. And she was oh, slowing. breathing through the mouth. She was breathing through the mouth by the yeah, end of the first. Yeah, she and was slowing down noticeably. I'm going, this girl has a lot of fucking potential. And uh, I'm not one to say, I don't think a hype train can be started off of a loss very often. But this then, dude, that train, this train done left the fucking station and I am all aboard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She she put on a fucking she put on a fucking just amazing performance, showing that yes, it is possible to have a chin in the women's one forty five division, and take the best shots of the best one of the best one forty five strikers out there. Oh, I just I don't know any other thing to say, but. Please find yourself a better striking coach because Canada is not doing you any good right now. No, I, and I believe uh, from the uh, embedded they were talking. She, her, and her fiance have bought a new house that they're going to renovate. I want to say it's in Florida. I are think they going, she's coming to ATT. I was going to say, are they going to American Top Team? If that's think, the case, that's a good solid camp for her. But it, yes, too. Uh, man, I'm just saying. 145 is going to be a completely different division, especially now that uh, Cyborg right now is um, kind of testing the waters of free agency because yep. she wants something that she's never going to get, which is an apology from Daddy Dana because he don't do that. Well, and to be fair, not that I endorse her, I want an apology from Dana bullshit in the least bit. This is the fucking fight business, not the be nice business, as yep. he likes to say. Um, at the same time, to her credit, as big of a name and a draw as she is right now, realistically, I don't think she would have any fucking problem whatsoever, Cyborg, going over to PFL and handily dethroning Kayla Harrison and taking home a million dollars at the end of this year for the PFL season. Oh, yeah, easily. And that's a, for that's her, a guaranteed that, million. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Go fucking sign up. Get the fuck out. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Don't play that apology game. Play that show me the fucking money game. Uh, the, here's the one the one spot where I will step in and defend her on this. As a fan, I want to see Dana apologize for two reasons. One, just to see that he'll actually fucking do it. And two, I want another Cyborg Nunes fight. And that's just me being fucking greedy. Yeah, it would. It, I'll tell you what. I don't think it would be anything close to the same as the first one was, but I think a Nunez Cyborg 2 would be a hell of an exciting fight nonetheless. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to have that same first-round fireworks, but the, the build-up and the fucking fireworks that you're going to see out of that fight, if it was anything like this Cyborg Spencer fight this weekend, oh, Jesus. I, maybe I'm just being a greedy fucking fan, that's all. I'm just saying, it, it should be interesting, but in all honesty here, not talking about Cyborg at all, no offense. Fucking love her. She did a fantastic job this weekend and had one gnarly cut on that five headers. Felicia yeah. Spencer, though, that girl earned a fan. She earned a loyal fucking fan on that one. Because to take those shots from her and keep just pushing straight through, she's beating them and just fucking soldiering on. I really hope that is the case that their house is down there in Florida and they're going to all American top team because she'll get some solid good striking out of that. Fuck yeah, they'll tune her up. But anybody who's in 145 better have watched this fight and taken notice because the division is unnoticed whether she lost or not. Because now with Cyborg not being here, who knows? 
I have a feeling, could we see another um, Invicta fucking takeover? Right. Well, and the thing with Felicia is she made 145 without having to cut much weight. She's a natural 45er, which means yep. she can get her shit together at 145. There's very little reasons why she couldn't just make the 10-pound cut and go start dancing around at 35 because the 145 division isn't that big. If she comes in the way that she did against Cyborg, against the other ladies that are fighting at 145, she could have a very short but very great run at 145, but that sets her right up to make that small cut down to 35. And there's a whole lot of ladies at 135 that would make some very, very interesting matchups with what we saw she could do against Cyborg. So I, I agree 100%. Not always is there a situation where a hype train can be made from a loss, but I think Felicia Spencer is absolutely stepping up to become an exception to that rule. And I am all aboard that fucking train as well because that girl has got some fucking serious potential here. I'm just saying, those other girls right now for her are shark bait. Yeah. She's, she's swimming in deep waters, and those guys just got their toes in the sand. They don't know what's about to hit them. But moving on from there, this will bring us, before we get into the meat and potatoes, we will go to what we introduced last week and a new little segment here where we don't just listen to the nonsense that the hardcores like TJ and I will spew for you here. We give you an everyday person, a, a regular folks point of view here and a little segment that we like to call casual corner. And when we bring in the casual corner, we bring in my favorite casual fan, the one and only Miss Loomy. You're a Miss Loomy. Usually. No, we're good. We're good. Wait, there wait. We go. I brought in. I brought in props. Uh oh. <laughs> so you're on. On par with uh, this weekend's fights, I see. <laughs> Kinda. Let's see. So now, I know, I know that you were looking for some interesting tidbits here, and uh, I, I know that you came up with a couple, so uh, why don't you let us know what kind of fun things that you found as a casual this week? Um, I actually won a couple of my thoughts on saying who was going to win. Really excited. I was really impressed with um, Felicia Spencer. I don't really like the way she acts for his for her interviews, and that's my issue with her. Like that's I just I like the quiet, humble type. So I, eh, if she works on that, but yeah, I definitely agree. She's she looks like she's um, a force to be reckoned with if she lasts that long with Cyborg. How many people can say that they've done that? Exactly, exactly. She's the third woman in history to take Cyborg to decision. So. That says something unto itself. And the Max versus Frankie thing? Called that. Really excited. The, the Price dude called that one. I don't <laughs> know which other ones they called, because I, I kind of dozed off during the fight, but <laughs> I called a couple of them. You did. Um, you did. Yeah, I, I really liked this that last week's fight. This week, oh my god, the research was on bearable for this fucking Covington. I literally wrote in my notes, can suck a dick. <laughs> Please suck a dick. Or get kicked out of the UFC since he thinks he's such a fucking player sitting there with his arms draped over ladies. 
Hitch a fucking STD and get the fuck out, you little pompous bitch. I hope he gets his ass kicked. Absolutely. So, Covington, I hope you go down. Hope you go No. Lawler, I hope Lawler takes it. And then um, the next fight, Miller versus Clay. I think Miller needs to work on his defense. I kind of hope he wins it. Clay seems like a really decent dude. I normally go based off of the people's personalities. Clay, it felt like he was like gushing at an Emmy Award or something and he just won something. I'd like to thank my makeup artist, that guy over there that handed me a tissue at the end. Thank you. Happy birthday to you and you and your mom and your mom's mama. Shut up. It's nice being humble, but shut up. So, those, those were my picks. <laughs> Not bad picks at all. The, this weekend's main and co-main event has four very notable gentlemen, in, and it is definitely going to be some interesting matchups. I agree. Um, where did the soup cans come in or was that just the entirety of the card that's what I wanted to know <laughs> oh you guys were talking about soup cans and it struck me that after the show I'm totally going to have soup I don't know which one wait a minute on one of those ravioli yes that's not <laughs> soup alright well, okay we're splitting hairs over here alright <laughs> I grew up in that household. I grew up on Sheffield, <laughs> garbage. I grew up on it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah, no, the reason why I didn't really go in, like last week, I went into a lot of them. But like I said, I like to pick people based off of how they present themselves. But did so, you look at Mickey Gall's fight this week? I looked at all of them because Meter was telling me I was becoming not so very casual about the whole thing because I was looking into everybody and I started YouTubing everybody. So I would need to know a color. Yeah, you can't you can't be fucking casual if you're doing all the research like we do. <laughs> but, at the, <laughs> but at the same time, like I don't pick people based off of their looks or their skills. I pick people based off of their personalities. So it makes it really hard when you're looking up a bunch of people that aren't very well known at that. That's, that's true. To be fair, for the most part, Lumi makes her predictions and her, her fight picks based off of people's walkout videos and the pre-roll videos that they show before the fights. And I had to tell her that in a lot of these situations with both last week's card and this week's card, you're not going to have a whole lot of walkout fights or a whole lot of screen time, if any, for a lot of these names, because a lot of these fights are filler and a lot of these fights are either debuts or nobody. So see if I could find it though. I guess I could give like skill picks if we're going to go with the non-personality picks. I'll go out. I'll go main card. Here we go. I'm not even going to look at Covington. I just hope he gets his fucking ass kicked in. <laughs> Jim Miller needs to work on his defense. I noticed that a lot of um, his problems seem to be with um, defense. Uh, the other guy, I didn't like that he has 43% decisions where Jim Miller has 33. I think if he worked on his defense, he might he might be able to do something with his life. Maybe. Maybe. 
He also looks like a very weird version of Arrow from the comics. Anyways, back on to the other people. <laughs> let's see. We'll, let's. I'm excited about next week's fight. Back to this week's fight, though. God damn it. My internet is just not working with me. <laughs> well, then go, go based off of what you see. Silva versus... Yep. Say it. Hackpursta? Hackpurst? Hickpurst? Hickpurst. Hackpurst. This is why I could never be a Starbucks barista. <laughs> Let's see. So red being Silva. The other guy I'm just calling blue, because fuck that. Uh, <laughs> records, 11-1-0. Blue's record is 10-2-0. They're pretty, they seem to be pretty equal, so rats on you guys for picking people that seem pretty pretty good with each other. Knockouts, 80% on blue. Oh, so having a fancy last name really seems to be working out for him. No submissions, though. Um, 20% of them go to decision. And all for you if you're going to just go in and knock bitches out. The other guy, red guy, 55% knockouts. 27% submissions. So I guess if we really wanted to be decent here, maybe we could add the 27% to the 55. And consider those, I suppose. And then they're they're pretty even again. Um, let's see. Significant strikes. Oh, blue dude. Blue dude with the fancy name all the way. That's it. I'm going with fancy blue dude. Oh, he's even got defense. He's got 78% takedown defense. Takedown accuracy, 25%. The other guy has 50. Uh, takedown average, 0.33. And the other guy's got 0.26. I'm, I'm voting for this blue dude. He seems pretty badass if he doesn't... If he doesn't start dancing in the rain like a puddle. There you go. Blue and red badassery. <laughs> Uh, note to self, we are not trade. We are not infringing on any red versus blue here. Not at all. Not at all. No. If they were wearing the shorts that they were going to be wearing that night, I'd I'd identify them by the name of their shorts. But in that case, I I normally get called racist. So I kind of enjoy this black and red or black and blue thing. Red and blue. Red and blue. Red and blue thing. All right. Anyways. Um, Trevin Gills. Giles. Did you say Kyles? Giles. There's, there's no Trevin Giles. K in there. Giles. Trevin Giles. I'm never going to be a Starbucks barista. Holy sh... Yep. <laughs> he's going against this Gerald dude? Yep. Alright, he's got an 11-0 record. This other guy's got a 28-11-0. So he's been in it for a while. So we have to take that into um perspective when we look at him because clearly he's been here for a while if he's got 28 11 got 28 matches on this other dude both in the united states he's got he's got an inch height on him same weight reach oh he he looks like he's got a little bit better of a reach the other guy's got fucking feisty long legs though red guy he's got 41 inch Leg reach. The other guy's got 40, so he's got some feisty long legs. Watch out for them legs, is what I can say. 
blue dude. Um, oh, shit. Red dude's got a bunch of knockouts. He's at 45 knockouts slash TKO. And then the other guy's at 21%. Submissions, 45. Submissions, 71 for blue. Oh, shit. And for the amount of fights... Okay, this is impressive. For the amount of fights Blue's been in, the fact he's only had 7% decisions. This is my kind of fight. I don't I don't like decisions. Um, landed per second. Oh, Blue Dude, your age is starting to show. Blue Dude's got 2.63 lands per minute. The other guy's got 5.45. That's that's significant. He's going in guns blazing. Unless they're counting legs. Do they count legs in those? Because those are feisty legs. I think it just counts as significant strikes per minute. So punches or kicks, whatever lands cleanly and insignificantly. And he's got them freaky legs, so I'm thinking the portion of those might be legs. Significant strikes, 66. You can't really win with your legs, though, so it just depends on how many of these strikes are with his legs. I've not seen too many people win with their legs. Like, you can take them down... Yep. If if you start winning via takedown accuracy, yep, there we go. Okay, takedown accuracy, 100%. So it seems like this guy has really good ability to take you down to the mat and hold you there with his fucking freaky legs. So, octopus dude, red dude, I think he's taking it. <laughs> Should I keep going on with these guys? There's only one more. Like a little baby Jackie Chang. <laughs> Dong Hoon Ma. Dong Hyun Ya. Dong Hung Ya. Yeah. Versus Scott. Okay. He's impressively tall. Wow. 5'11. Oh, but his record doesn't look so pleasant. 1693, where uh, Scott being red. Um, Dong Blue. Let's see. Scott's twelve three zero. Blue is sixteen nine three. Mm. Ooh, but Red lost his last fight. I didn't even see that section. Five nine versus eleven. Five eleven. Same weight. Blue is taller. That gives him a little bit of advantage over this guy. They weigh the same, but he's a little bit more... For reach-wise, it gives blue an advantage. Although, it looks like red, when you go down to significant strikes, he, he makes his smallness well-known by getting up in your face, which I think a lot of small people have to do. If you're going... It's like, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. If you're small, get in there. Fucking take him out. So landed per minute, red dude has 4.36. Blue dude, 3.77. And given that he has an advantage in his height, I think that's pretty... Pretty crappy. Like, what do you do? Just hop around and avoid most of the fight? I don't know. Significant strikes, 51 versus 45. He's not using his height to his advantage. Absorbed per minute, 3.41 versus 4.5. Red dude's got defense, blue dude's got defense. 
I'm going with Red Dude. I think Red Dude's gonna fucking get up in there in that 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 squiggly dude and be like, peace, good night, snuggle time. <laughs> How many more is there left? That's it. That's the main card. Okay, that's it. What now? Apparently, my neighborhood's going crazy. You got fire trucks and sirens running down the road. Way to give us the rundown. Oh, for anybody who doesn't know, those were stats. Uh, you got some statistics going on there. Enjoy the rest of the show. Your casual's out. Thank you for your contribution. <laughs> Thanks, Basic Casual. We appreciate it. So, that will bring us into our meat and potatoes of the episode, as it were. That will bring us into our breakdown of the UFC Fight Night Newark slash UFC on ESPN 5 semicolon Kohler Covington versus Lawler. Just too many words for a fucking I title. thought you were going to say cholera. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like cholera because my insides are just going blah when I try to run the fucking name of this episode down. She's, Jesus. <laughs> That's going to bring us into our breakdown of the card here. So the way that we like to do it here, we're going to jump in right at the tippy top but not really because like we were saying this week as with most weeks recently we have got a fluffy pillow worth of stuffing added to the card here so we're not going to break down all of the whites on the card here what i do want to start with is i'm gonna make a couple of mentions real quick um lauren murphy coming in on the ladies flyweight side versus uh, mara barella there's some potential for fireworks there. Not enough for me to warrant going in full breakdown with, but there are some good early fights that have some potential here. Same with Jordan Espinosa versus Matt Schnell. There's some potential for fireworks there as well. Just not, in my opinion, enough to give a full breakdown here. Now, the fight after that, on the other hand, I do feel absolutely warrants given a little talk to here. We are talking, of course, about the sister of the bullet, one Antonina Pantera Shevchenko, versus Lucy Pudilova. Now, this is an interesting matchup in my opinion here. Lucy Pudilova is, and I don't mean any disrespect by it, but to me, she is the embodiment of Xanax. She walks like she is constantly on autopilot. She looks like you just woke her up at any given point in time, whether she's doing press during the fight week or standing in the octagon after she got her hand raised. She always looked like someone gave her too many Benadryl. Like she's just <laughs> yawn from falling the fuck out and just sleeping over at any point in time. That being said, she's not a bad fighter. She's not the greatest in the world with an eight and four record, but she's not the worst that there is. My dogs are crazy. On the other side of that coin though, you've got Valentina's sister, Antonina. Now, the Bullet Sisters, the UFC Sisters, rather, as they're referred to, are both legitimate, world-caliber, badass Muay Thai fighters. But we have seen recently out of Antonina that she can be negated in her skills to a certain degree. If she gets the right amount of pressure put on her, if she gets a lot of heavy grappling, because she is primarily a striker for the most part. Granted, she's got some defense, she's got some submission abilities, but for the most part, the Shevchenko sisters 
are both, and primarily Antonina, are strikers. She is a hell of a striker. She's got great kicks. She's got great punches. But we've seen recently that there are some holes in her game, and she doesn't really respond well to a whole lot of pressure. That tends to be Lucy's strong suit here. She can get right up on you and bring the phone booth real close in on you. That could prove to be very interesting here. I think what this is going to come down to is can Antonia stay loose and stay on the outside where she can put her striking to work against Kulova, who's going to want to bring it in and sandwich tie her down. I think in this situation, Antonina is going to be able to do it because she's coming off a loss that everyone felt she shouldn't have taken that the last fight that she had should have, according to, of course, MMA math, which you can't go by, but looking at her last matchup, she should have easily won and she didn't. She was handled fairly thoroughly. So I think this is one of those situations where the Shevchenko sisters are motivated. This coming off a loss is going to be extra motivation for her, I believe. And I think she's going to be able to take everything that Lucy's going to throw at her. And I think she's going to be able to do it. I don't see this being a big knockout. I think this may be a three round going to a decision, but I think this is going to be a W back for the Shevchenko side of the card. I, I'm wondering how she's going to come off of that loss. She just got beat by Monteferi. Monteferi was on this last card, if I'm not mistaken. To be honest, she didn't look all that fucking great. She never looks all that great. Yeah, no, consistently not great. She's a, she's she's literally the epitome of uh, go in, take my punches, get in and grapple. If I can get my hands on you, I'm happy. Yeah. How she was not able to mitigate that during her fight with her, I don't know because everybody knows that's all that girl was doing. Now. Uh, Across the octagon somewhere, he has Kudalova, who is the embodiment of what I would like to call a fucking walking zombie, uh, because she move, continually moves forward, continually moves forward, doesn't stop. There's a lot of pressure there, no matter how many times you hit them. Unless you knock them out, they keep moving forward. Uh, and can she, did, uh, I guess this is my biggest question. Did Shevchenko learn from her last fight how to mitigate that distance? If she didn't learn how to mitigate the distance and keep her where she wants her in range and be able to ride the bike when necessary, she's going to lose this fight. However, I'm thinking after that last loss where she should have won. She should have clearly fucking won that fight. There was no reason for her to lose lose but that's neither here nor there we're not talking about that fight um, I think I think after that last fight um, she probably went back in did a little bit more training to work on mitigating distances and keeping punts out at its striking range whether it be with kicks or punches but I mean she's got one of the best training partners in the world her fucking sister what more could you fucking ask for um I mean, as long as she can mitigate distance, she wins this fight. If she does not mitigate distance, and let's put a little bit, just fucking march her down like a fucking zombie that she is, she's going to lose. So I think it's all going to come out to can she mitigate the distance. If she mitigates it, she wins the fight hands down. I agree. I agree completely. Um, Lucy might not always be the most exciting to watch in an interview, but 
the pressure that she puts on girls will quickly change your game plan if you're not fucking ready for it. So I think this has definitely got some interesting potential here. And then moving along from that to the premiere or the, the highlight fight, as it were, on the, uh, the prelim card here. Hey, Mickey. Mickey Gall, the Jersey boy himself, is coming over to uh, close out the prelims for us here against Salim Tauri. Now, Salim Tauri has a lot of potential as well, but we're looking at a Mickey Gall who realistically has come out despite his great training that you can follow, despite his fucking heart of a fucking lion and a fire inside that boy that you can roast marshmallows off of from feet away. He just hasn't seemed to been able to really string together what he needs to get the momentum going here. Every time he starts to look hot, something simple slips up. The little slip ups seem to keep setting him back further and further. I like this kid. He's got great fucking potential. He's a hell of a warrior. He trains with fucking Joe Schilling and Cowboy. The kid has got some skill. The problem is we haven't really been able to see him put it all together when he needs to here. And I'm hoping that being a Jersey boy fighting in Newark, that this is going to be what it really takes to snap him out of this funk that he's been in and really get him going and get him locked in, get his game tightened down and let him start to build. Because if he can put together three or four good wins, there's no reason why he can't be looking right up to the top of the stack. And I'm not saying give him an immediate title shot, but I'm saying the kid has the skills. If he can put them together, he can easily be a top five contender before the end of next year, realistically be in the title conversation here. The problem is, is that as soon as we seem to get him to that point, he slips up on something little and ends up fucking it all up. I think being as how we're, we're in Newark here, we're in front of the home crowd. I think that's going to be enough this time to get Mickey fired the fuck up watching his training over the last couple of months here he's getting real fucking serious and he's getting real good at least in the gym. So I've got to hope that he's putting in all the work he needs to finally try and get this all cinched in and, and actually become the fighter that a lot of us believe he realistically can become. I think the hometown boy is going to get it done, but Salim is no fucking slouch either. This isn't like he's coming in against a fucking soup can. He's legitimately got his work cut out for him because Salim can grapple with him. Salim can strike with him here. It's a matter of, who can get their game plan imposed here? And I think having all the fuel that Mickey Gall has right now, I'm feeling like he might be able to finally put it together and give us the fucking show that we want to see because I think home is that important to him. And I think the fact that they're giving him the chance to do this at home is going to be that motivating factor that we really want to see him use and succeed. So I think he's going to get it done primarily because he's at home here. I have to disagree with this one. I have to disagree with this completely. Look, the only reason Mickey Gall has a name and is still in the UFC is because, because he at one point called out a one CM Punk. Dude, I would have fought CM Punk and fucking won that fight. I'm just saying. There's a reason why you're still in the UFC and that's because of that one singular fight. That's it. There's no other reason you should fucking be here anymore. You just got put out by Diego Sanchez in four months ago in April, if I remember correctly. March or April. Not just put out. You were knocked out. Bye-bye. Sleep, sleep. No. Look, 
Nothing against uh, Diego Sanchez because he's been in the game for a long time. But you went in there who against someone who is fucking been through wars and you should have beaten him because he is literally the gatekeeper for that division to say whether you make it anywhere in life or not. At this point, you failed that fucking life. I don't think you get this done because you, at this point, you losing T Diego tells me you're not ready for the big show. You can't get past the gatekeeper. Why the fuck are they feeding you um, another soup can for two soup cans to kick around here? Mickey Gall was good for one thing, proving that an average Joe fighter coming out of a, a good camp, look, if I had the money, I could go fucking throw money at Donald Cerrone and they'd let me train there too. That doesn't make me a good fighter. Maybe not Cerrone, but a couple other guys down at Wingle John, I'm sure, from what we've heard, will let you. But, you know, I'm just saying, you suck the right dicks, they're going to let you train there. That's how that works. But what I'm saying here is, just because any fucking Tom, Dick, or Harry who wants to fight MMA, who is a big enough celebrity, then like goes, oh, that's a fantastic fucking idea. Yes, please, put you in. Look, Mickey Gall, you were in the right place at the right time to get yourself a main event. That's all there was to it. After that, you've been nothing more than a fucking soup can that's beating up other soup cans and then when he gets something that's a dented soup can because it's been in more wars, gets his ass kicked and puts the fuck to sleep. Dude, give up this career now. Do something better with your time. Mickey Hall's not going to win this fight. I, and to be honest, I still don't understand why he's still in the fucking UFC. Uh, I think there's more of a hype train behind this guy because of fucking the one fucking fight that fuck, I could go pull my goddamn stepdad off of a couch and he would have beat CM Punk. That's all I'm saying. I will call him by his fucking he doesn't deserve to get called by his regular name for fighting because he was not that person. Making all that's all you were. You were a highlight reel as to why somebody who trains for six months can't become a true pro. Yeah, you can become an amateur and have an amateur fight in that time. That's fine. But to come into the big stage, well, no. Mickey, you made it here. I get it. You're, you're a decent fighter. But you are literally, at this point in my eyes, you are the gatekeeper for the soup cans. Hopefully you feel good about that because that's where you belong. That top five shit that you said, there's no way in fucking hell. Dude, I, I would cut off my left testicle if he ever gets a shot at the title. That's all I'm saying. He He's not good enough for that. He does not have the fucking wherewithal. You got beat up by fucking Diego Sanchez, for Christ's sakes. Somebody who's in the tail, the way far back nine of their career yep. and who is batshit crazy and you're wondering, should they legally be letting him fight? I'm just saying, dude. Yeah, you're not going to win this fight. It's just how it's going to go. I'm sorry, I completely did not even talk about sleep here, but I really am beyond Mickey Gall at this point. Mickey Gall is, he's to be honest, he's just a name that I associate with. You beat CM Punk. Great job. I'll get the fuck out of my face.
absolutely a possibility. And realistically, like I was saying, with the inconsistencies we have seen with Mickey, there's every possibility that he could just be a little too full of his goddamn self and come in here and Salim could fucking sleep him for all we know. But that's the one of the fun things about watching fights like this is that you never really know. So we're going to have to watch and find and out how that plays. I almost feel a little bit bad about the way I did that because I just don't, if you can't tell, I don't like Mickey Gall at all. Oh, good. Opinions are like assholes. We all get them. Yeah, dude, if this place, if fucking assholes could fly, this place would be an airport. I get it. I tell you. <laughs> I'm just saying, no, because I, I kind of feel bad about that at the same time I don't, just because that's the way I've seen it since he came in. And I, I, I can absolutely understand that as well. I mean, the only reason they gave CM Punk that fight because it was a soup can. To see if soup, if he could manage soup can status, and he couldn't even do that. Just saying, it doesn't matter what Mickey Gall does. It, I just don't, I have no love for the guy at all. No offense. No offense. He made the big show. Good job. But no offense. I just, all good. No love. <laughs> Call me Cody Garbarit right now because there is no love to be had. <laughs> it's all good. But talking about Mickey has been finished. So here that will bring us along to the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes here of this particular episode, the main card itself. Now, just like with the prelims, like we talked about, there is more than enough stuffing in here to make a grandiose pillow to have a wonderful nap upon. So we're not going to break down the whole main card here as well. But there are a couple that I am going to give a quick little mention to. Um, in the words of uh, uh, one casual fan of ours here, red versus blue can sometimes make interesting matchups. Um, <laughs> give a quick little break here to Scott Holtzman. Dude is a grinder. Dude has definitely got a legit chance here. But like Lumi was saying, Dong Hyun Ma is a tall drink of water. And that gentleman can use his range fairly well. So... There is interesting potential in that matchup here. I don't think, again, this is one of those that warrants a full breakdown. Definitely worth a watch, but not really what I'm anticipating to be the, the fireworks of the card. Um, same moving forward here. Trevin Giles is a very, very hungry young prospect, but Gerald Mearshart is no fucking slouch. That dude is a strong, strong individual, and he's tough to get away from. That's going to be a great fight as well. But again, that's good too. He's been around for a while. Yeah, again, that's 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 what I'm saying here. He's got the experience, he's got the IQ, but he's also got those road miles. So I don't feel that this is going to be a real barn burner of a fight, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch how it shakes loose. Um, what I will say though here, um, Joaquin, Joaquin Silva versus Nirsat Hopshot, Hopsharat, excuse me is going to be what I think the real fight that gets the momentum going on this card. These two gentlemen, even though they are smaller guys, they are still fighting down at lightweight compared to some of the bigger guys that are on the card. This is the lightweight fight that's going to set up the co-main event lightweight fight. So I think this is going to be a chance for the 55-pound guys to put a little bit of fire in the crowd to get the, the Newark Stadium rocking before another hometown Jersey boy comes up that we'll talk about here in just a minute here. Um, this is a situation where I feel that Silva is going to try to put pressure on early, but you just can't do that to Nasrat. Nasrat is going to be able to see it coming. I think he's got a high enough fight IQ. I think he's got good enough countering and good enough defensive abilities. I think this is going to be a situation where we're going to see some fireworks, not on the offensive side, because I feel like Joaquim is going to come in 
real heavy, real pressureful. But I think this is going to be an example where we're going to get to see a little more of a defensive or of a countering style coming to be a little more prominent here. I think Nasrat is absolutely going to take this one. And I think this is going to be the fireworks that really open it up because he's got some great counter timing. And I think if he can put that together here, I think he is going to be a fucking highlight reel for the evening, possibly fight of the night. Just I've, I've got a sneaky suspicion here. I got no fucking evidence that I can point to to support that fact. I just got a sneaky suspicion based on these two gentlemen here. Nasrat is going to put some counter power down, and I think that he's going to take it in a big fucking way Saturday night. This is a tough fight for me to call. It, this one really is. Uh, namely because contrary to Silva's fucking nickname, he also has fucking dynamite in his hands, too. Yes, he does. It, not only is he a BJJ fucking elitist, but he's got some fucking knockout power. However, it definitely Nasrat's fucking counter game is way, way better. Way fucking better. So I, that makes it right there interesting in itself. To be honest, I see this one being kind of a stand-up war. Not quite a phone booth war, Right, but I mean, it's definitely gonna end up on the stand-up side of things, and I'm I'm wondering how that ends up playing out because uh, I could see it going either way. I mean, don't get me wrong; if Silva gets to the ground, I don't think Nasrat has the fucking ground game to stop him. But I don't foresee it going there. I see this being a stand-up, and I'm pretty sure you're right on this. That I think what's gonna happen is Nasrat's gonna end up catching him with the helmet, where it's gonna be. Night, night. Um, you just threw a holy fucking haymaker, whiffed it right on the button, and out she goes. What Rollins gonna happen? Then? I don't know, and I don't even know if that'll happen. But I definitely like where you got that sneaky suspicion here. This period possibly being fight of the night. Although there's one other fight on the card that I can say I, I definitely will see. Although um, I would like to hopefully think that other fight is gonna be knockout of the night, but. This one definitely does have um, highlight possibilities in it, and especially with the way these two match up. Like their styles, uh, stylistically, are fucking fantastic for each other. Both of them will stand and trade. And then there's, um, in this case, what I'll call Silva's little ace up his sleeve is his BJJ. But I think it's going to be a trading on the feet war for this one. Not going to be quite a barn burner, but it'll be close. But considering how the rest of this card looks, for um, lack of better terms, is uh, the soup aisle at your local grocery, local grocery store. Uh, that's pretty much what the rest of this card looks like. In fact, um, I'm going to take this a step further with this card right now because I'm in that kind of mood. We've had back-to-back -back pornos from the UFC last week. Or the, excuse me, not last week. This last weekend, all but co-main main event, pretty much all fluffers. Part two is this weekend. It's Return of the Fluff. <laughs> uh, um, if those of you who are not familiar with corners and don't know what a fluffer are, go look it up. And introduce yourself to it later. You can thank me later. But that's kind of how I see these two cards. But this fight in general though, um, that we're talking about here, Definitely has the um, um, I hype. I won't say a hype train behind it, but it does have enough of a pizzazz 
to be the fluffers among the fluffers. That's all I'm saying. It could end up being a good one, but I think it'll end up being a stand-up. Somebody's getting knocked out, though, one way or another, whether it's via counter or, or not. But we'll see. It'll be fantastic just to watch. But uh, I'm sick of these fluff cards. I really wish they could put some more pertinent fights together. I Maybe agree. they didn't blow their wad fucking a couple months ago. Yeah. Right. Well, and not to mention, we're in the middle of nine weeks in a row of every weekend being a UFC event. So, you know, not that I don't enjoy having a lot of events like this, but I think realistically, if we went back to one, maybe two fight nights a month and then a pay-per-view once a month, maybe once every other month, the way that it used to be, we wouldn't have to worry about as many fluffer fights. But like we talked about earlier, with shit like Ultimate Fighters still kind of being a thing and then the fucking Contender Series just constantly churning, Dana giving out three to five contracts a fucking week uh, now. Uh, you know, I have a strange feeling that the reason why we're getting these fluffer cards like this has something to do with the ESPN deal where they said you have to have X number of showcases per year, per year. in order to yeah. be on our channel or just so that way they can fill their airtime. Which I get that. If it's part of your contract, that's fine. But do a better job of setting that shit out. I get it. Shelby and them, they've got a fucking tough job of matchmaking right now. It just comes with the territory when you've blown a lot of your wad at the beginning of the year, International Fight Week. You pulled cards off to put them in International Fight Week. And yeah, it makes it difficult. So we're getting a lot of fluff. Or um, we're all I'll say other than pornos is we're getting the leftovers from the contender series. It seems like a lot on a lot of these. Yeah, absolutely. It is what it is. Uh, a la uh, King Max Holloway. It is what it is. <laughs> absolutely. But that being said, that will bring us to the uh, macaroni salad, as it were, on a meat and potatoes episode here, talking about the co-main event for Saturday night's card the hometown boy Jim Miller versus the living legend the caveman himself Clay Guida now this fight is just absolute craziness from top to bottom Jim Miller for those who don't recognize the name is one of the most OG one of the most down fuckers in the UFC he is chasing Frankie and Cowboy for most finishes, for most fights, for most time in the octagon in the UFC. Jim Miller has been there and done that. And the man has walked through fire and come out smiling. Not only is he a badass inside the octagon itself, but Jim Miller was almost completely taken out of combat sports and out of athletics altogether by Lyme disease and has since come back to be, in my opinion, just as badass as he was prior to having some serious downtime. And I'm hoping that this fight being the co-main event, not only just the co-main, but a co-main event against a name like Clay Guida will help bring a little bit more spotlight on Jim's story and help get a little more of the fandom behind him and educate the folks a little bit more about the Jim Miller story because not only is a hell fighter, not only is he a literal badass for kicking the shit out of Lyme disease, but he is overall one of those Cowboy Cerrone-esque fighters that is such just a great human being outside of his fighting career, outside of his octagon performances, just 
in his everyday life, Jim Miller is such a great human being and a person that you could honestly use as a great example of the good guys that prefer to punch each other in the face for a living, much like Cowboy Cerrone here. You can't help but like Jim Miller. The problem is then you look across the octagon from him and you've got a literal living legend like Clay fucking Guida. Clay Guida has been there since been there since been there. He was there in the early days of the insanity when this shit really started to become a legitimate thing. And he has been a name for better or for worse in literally the biggest wars in the UFC. Case in point, he and Diego Sanchez just a few months ago were inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame's combat wing for Diego Sanchez versus Clay Guida being voted one of the greatest battles in UFC history. And it was. And it absolutely was. That was a hell of a war. It is still considered one of the golden standards as far as what a real war in the octagon looks like. Two guys who are willing to give every ounce of everything they have to put on the fight that they know the fans want to see, that they know that they are capable of. So this is in no way, shape, or form a fight that is going to be easy for either gentleman on this octagon here. But I think what it's going to boil down to is the combination of grappling and striking. We know that Clay Guida is more than willing to plant his feet and throw and trade and swing that Captain Caveman fucking hair back and forth while he's swinging at you till somebody falls out. But on the other side of that, Jim Miller's not that dude. Jim Miller is not afraid to strike, but he's not going to plant his feet and see who's the tougher dude. He's going to wait till Clay plants his feet, step out, and then counter time in and then lay the shots that make the decisions down. The difference here is that I feel like once we get all of this out in the open and the card starts, or the fight rather, starts rolling, I feel like once the striking starts to really set on, because this isn't going to be a, a one-round finish, I don't think. This is going to be a full-on war. And I think once these two gentlemen start to get a little bit loose, I think Jim Miller's striking is going to start to take over. And I feel like that's going to try and force Clay Guida into a position where he has to try and out-grapple Jim Miller. Because for the great fighter that he is, Jim Miller absolutely tends to struggle a little bit when he gets pinned down, when you take him down and you put heavy weight on him, when you lay on him, he tends to not be able to recover as well as if you can keep it on the feet and he can keep it a striking battle. That's not to say that Jim Miller doesn't have a ground game because goddamn he does. But history has shown that that's where he tends to lose points or to start to lose momentum is when he gets taken down and held down. But we also know that Clay Guida doesn't necessarily have the grappling or the power to hold strong guys down. He can't get you down, eat shots, and keep you there. If you can get a couple of good shots on Clay when he takes you to the ground, he tends to move out enough or at least stay loose enough on you to where guys can roll out, guys can sprawl out, throw a wizard at him, and fucking walk right up. I think what this is going to come down to is can Jim Miller's striking out advance Clay Guida's grappling nature here and I think that it's absolutely going to but I don't think it's going to be an easy one I don't think this is going to end early I think this is either going to end late in the third or possibly go a full all the way to the end and go to decision but I feel like Jim Miller has got what it takes and I feel like this is going to be the time where he's going to get a little chance to show that I think his striking is going to be enough 
to carry him through, even if it goes to decision. I think Miller takes this on points if he doesn't put Guida down at the end of the round because Guida's still got a chin, too. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say this. Uh, this. I'm so fucking excited for this fight. This has been like a long, long fucking time coming. A really long fucking time coming. But what excites me even more about this fight, both of these guys are coming off a fucking win. Um, you were just talking about Jim Miller's um, average grappling. He just won his last fight with a fucking submission. Very true. Then, of course, um, I, I'll, oh, this hurts to say. This is going to hurt so bad to say, but I have to say it because it is what it is right now. Clay Guida just came off a victory of a legendary soup can right now. Um, I mean that with all due respect. He just beat BJ. Yeah. Right now, BJ has been a he's been a fucking soup can, and I hate to say that because he's a legend of the sport, and I admire him. I love everything he did for the sport, but that's neither here nor there. We're talking about this fight. Um, but both of these guys coming off a victory, both literally fucking legends in their own right when it comes to the sport. Just fucking legends. They've both been through some gnarly fucking wars. Yeah. Here's here's what how I what I see uh, a couple of differences from what you were saying here. I think the hardest part of this fight for Jim Miller is going to be Clay Guida's gas tank and fucking relentless pace that dude has one of the highest paces of anybody in mixed martial arts he look look what fucking weight class they're at 155 clay guida's pace is fast enough where he could keep up with fucking bantam and featherweights with no problems at all that dude has a gas tank for days I think this is where Jim Miller might have a wee bit of a problem. He does not have that same gas tank as Clay Guida. Anybody who's watched a Clay Guida fight that has gone the distance, he has the same amount of energy at the beginning of the fight, jumping around all fucking crazy hair going everywhere, as he does at the end of the fight. And when he's done, he's still fucking jumping around. He looks like he did fucking 16 shots of espresso before he hopped into the fucking octagon. But that's just the kind of person he is. So the, I think what's going to be the real issue on this fight is pace. Can Jim Miller get it slowed down enough and force Clay to fight at his pace? If he can, he's going to win this fight. But if he can't stop with his pace and just relentless fucking constantly on top of you pressure, that's going to cause him a lot of issues. But I really think this has to do with the pace portion of it because Look, we know Guido likes to take people down. He likes to ground and pound. That's that's his MO. He's never been one for big time submission victories. I mean, you've seen a couple of them. He doesn't knock people out. What he does is he pressures them so goddamn much that he outpoints the fuck out of them because of his his style. On the other side of that, Jim Miller can still throw some fucking bombs. You don't see too many fucking knockouts from Jim Miller because he's not a headhunter. But I think a couple of good shots might gain um, Clay Guida's fucking respect a little bit. But, dude, I, 
I honestly have such a hard time calling this fight, and I really don't want to. I love both of these fighters in their own right. The, every time we get a fight like this, this is like me being a kid in a candy store. You're asking me, do I fucking want this piece of candy or this? No, I want them fucking both. Like saying, it's like, ask me between my two favorite candies, a Snickers bar and the Reese's peanut butter cup. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I really don't. Give me, give me one of each, but I can't have it that way because unfortunately, this ain't fucking Burger King. But it's such a hard fight to call, to be honest. I think to play devil's advocate here, I'm going to call it for Clay Guida purely on his pressure and his relentless pace that does not stop. I don't think Jim Miller has the gas tank to keep up with that. And I think that's where that big um, change is going to come in this fight. It's probably going to be about mid to end of round two, you're going to see fucking Jim Miller start to fade purely on the pace of the fight that quite Guida brings. But I, it could go the other way around and I could be completely fucking wrong. So, so I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not going to be mad either way. I mean, I am going to be a little mad either way because I want both of them to win, but they can't. So, but it's going to be a fucking hell of a show. But I'm going to say go ahead and call it Guida, but it's not going to be, he's not going to finish him. It'll end up being a decision victory. It's definitely, yeah, it's it's going to be an entertaining fight. That's There's no way around that. These are, like you said, these are two dudes who are both legitimate living legends in their own fucking right here. And when you get guys of that caliber and you let them go at it, they're going to go at it. And it's going to be fucking fireworks here. This one's going to set the roof of that fucking building on fire if the one before it doesn't already have the place in flames. And, and I think that's the other part of that is this one, I think, has more potential for fight of the night than any other fight on the card. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And this is, if, <clears throat> excuse me, if the, the previously mentioned suspected fight of the night doesn't take it, I agree 100%. I think this one is going to be the other one that's got that potential because the main that we're going to talk about in a minute is an interesting fight unto its own, but I don't think it has nearly the potential for fucking insanity and chaos, the one, ironically, that this one <laughs> from the previous fight has, in my opinion, at least. Oh, that's a good play on words there. I like that. <laughs> so, with that being done now, that will bring us to the actual meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes that is the meat and potatoes of this meat and potatoes segment of our show. This is the main event of the evening, the title card for this event, the big show for the evening. One, Colby Chaos Covington versus Ruthless Robbie Lawler. Holy shit, boys and girls, the potential for boil over in this particular match is off the charts twofold one because colby has basically spent the last two weeks to a month saying that he wanted this fight no he didn't he wanted this fight because he wanted to teach robbie lawler a lesson for leaving the gym that's stupid and that's bullshit but for two Because the UFC, for some fucking reason that I cannot for the life of me figure out why they decided to, but took it upon themselves to try to market Colby this week as 
not only the people's popular uh, opponent, if you will, going into this fight, but as the patriot that he pretends so publicly to be, that he's doing this for the motivation that the United States military gives to him. Bullshit. Bullshit and bullshit. Colby Covington has zero fucks to give about the military. He's not doing this for the military. This has never been associated with the military. This is another of Colby's heel persona attempts. And for whatever fucking reason, the UFC actually endorsed him in this to the extent that they got him a trip on an actual naval carrier. They got him some training with the legitimate Navy. And in true Colby Covington form, he showed up with his fucking sunglasses on carrying that stupid interim belt with him like he's the actual fucking champion. Now, I was explaining this to a- another casual friend of mine the other night, but I'm going to take just a moment here and explain this again because I feel that it's something that kind of has been forgotten and it needs to be addressed, at least as far as I'm concerned. The reason that an interim belt, which is what Colby is still carrying around, the reason for an interim belt to be issued in the first place is because the champion is unable for whatever reason to compete for a longer than acceptable point of time, but not so much of a point of time that they deserve to be stripped of their championship. So in that situation, an interim belt is created the number one contender, and then the number two contender, for the most part, generally, fight. The winner becomes the interim champion, the placeholder champ for that division. And then usually the next fight that takes place is the return of the champion versus the interim to unify the belt. The interim championship is only valid while the champion is not fighting the problem comes in here is that when colby won and i use that word loosely when colby won his interim championship belt he then turned down the unification belt with tyron woodley so tyron woodley took another fight because he was back colby still claims to be the interim champion yet the champion is back and defended his belt And then they offered him a second fight against Woodley to unify the belt that he still shouldn't rightfully have because the champion's been back. He turns down a second fight with the champion. The champion takes the fight from the next contender, Marty from Nebraska, Kamaru Usman, who subsequently beat that bitch with a baseball bat. He took a head-hunting Tyron Woodley And beat him and just flat out fucking beat him and took the belt away from him. So now we've not only had one, but we've had two title fights and the title has even changed hands since Colby won his interim championship belt. And Colby, for whatever fucking reason, still calls himself and considers himself the interim champion. Now, I'm going to say it again for those in the back who didn't hear me. 
the interim championship is only valid when the champion is not able to compete. Since Colby won his interim championship, the belt has not only been fought for twice, but has changed hands while he denied his two opportunities to unify his interim play belt with the real big boy belt. I don't understand how, one, they're still letting him hold that belt. Two, they're actually promoting him wearing that stupid fucking fake thing on his shoulder like he is a legitimate champion. What I will say is this. Like we talk about all the time, you don't get to be in the UFC if you're a full-on nobody. You still have to win your way to the UFC. Just as well, you don't get handed an interim belt in any division in the UFC. You have to legitimately win a match to get that belt in that situation. The problem here is that aside from being possibly the most offensive and biggest shit talker, and not in a good way, but biggest shit talker the UFC has employed, Colby Covington doesn't seem to understand basic rationale. He's so caught up in his own persona, which has been outed by several different fighters as being only for the cameras because he has, for lack of a better term, been punked like a bitch by some of the real motherfuckers in the UFC backstage and all have confirmed that Colby's big old mouth gets real tiny and real quiet when there's no cameras and there's no security there to make him look like he's a big shot. So I don't buy into Colby's fucking charade in the least bit. You can play that fucking hype game all you want. I see through that shit like you're wrapped in saran wrap, dude. Not buying it at all. That being said, aside from what I'll call a controversial stoppage against Ben Askren, Robbie Lawler has been steadily gaining momentum heading back up that roller coaster mountain that he was knocked off of by Tyron Woodley. I understand that he lost the RDA fight. Go back and watch that fight. RDA literally unloaded for 48 seconds with everything he had, feet planted, digging for every ounce he had. And not only was Robbie Lawler slipping and dodging, you can at several points during that barrage see him actively laughing. Then you look at what he was doing to Ben Askren before the flip and then the turn and the bulldog choke and the subsequent controversial stoppage. Robbie Lawler is looking just as good, maybe even a touch better recently than he has in quite a while since he hasn't had that belt around his waist. I think this is one of those situations where we are getting a steadily improving Robbie Lawler who is not phased in the least bit by the nonsense that Colby Covington constantly fucking spews coming in to do work against a guy that he and many other people see as the thing standing between Robbie and getting another title shot here because as much as you might want to 
to think otherwise if you take the number one contender in Colby Covington still having that fucking fake belt and Robbie Lawler beats the shit out of him definitively, how do you not put Robbie back in that top three with a title contention possibility? I think this is one of those situations where Colby is talking a much bigger game than he's going to actually be able to bring because the only real thing that Colby have in his favor has in his favor rather is his great wrestling. Robbie can handle wrestlers. He says he's got deadly hands. Not compared to Robbie Lawler, you fucking don't. I think this is one of those situations where Colby is coming in all razzle, no dazzle. I think he's letting, for lack of a better term, his ass get a check written for it by his mouth that it won't be able to cash. We're going to get a deficient void signature here. He's going to get an NSF fee. And I think Robbie Lawler is going to make a withdrawal of ass whooping from Colby Covington. I think this is going to be a spectacular Robbie Lawler fight. I think Robbie Lawler is going to put Colby to sleep. I think Colby is just too lackadaisical. He's looking past it too much. He's too hyped up sniffing his own shit to really take serious the problem that Robbie Lawler is. And Robbie Lawler's not doing that. So I think Robbie is going to knock Colby the fuck out, fingers crossed. I don't know or care when it happens, but I think that Robbie is just too much in every aspect here. And I think Colby won't get shut up because he's too stupid for that, but I think it's going to at least put his ass to the back of the line for a little bit. Oh, where to begin here? Where to begin? Um, well, let's start with the fucking, um, oh, uh, you know, actually, no, let me start with something I do want to talk about. Robbie fucking Lawler. I fucking love Robbie Lawler. That dude, he is a fucking legend. He is a living legend in the sport right now, period. That is still well within means of title reach. Without a fucking doubt. Look, what happened between him and the Aspen fight, it is what it is. It's gone, it's done, it's over with. Considering he was coming back off of injury in that fight, up until the point of where the Bulldog choke happened, he looked fucking phenomenal. Like, like Terminator fucking phenomenal. Like, he was going in there, I'll take some shots, but I will definitely dish this motherfucker out. He, it reminded me of all uh, fucking split lip win the goddamn belt, Robbie Lawler. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm dating myself when it comes to the MMA a little bit. So we're we're going back quite a few years on that. But he looked better than that fight alone. Just in that, just in that short fucking first round. Um, I I think what's gonna happen here is he's going to go in. He's going to look just as phenomenal as he did in the start of that Ben Askren fight. Except for this is going to carry on for fucking, I'll say two, two and a half rounds. And this is why I say two, two and a half rounds. Colby's got a solid wrestling base, but his wrestling base, nowhere near the fucking level that Ben Askren's is. Problem with that is. Robbie Lawler was fucking handling Ben Askren pretty fucking well up until that scramble happened. 
Kobe doesn't have the same scramble ability that Ben Askren does. And so he's going, nor, nor the fucking wrestling prowess. So there's no way that Kobe's alligator mouth has not already written a check that his canary ass can't cash, but he's about to eat his fucking words. And please, please let somebody bring that fucking stupid, stupid, no longer relevant interim belt into the octagon. So that way I can see Robbie just pull his dick out and piss on it right in the middle of the octagon when it's fucking done. Well, <clears throat> I get it. You you won it. I'll be a I'll be a fucking kind of a controversial way a controversial win to get the interim title. You never took the fucking fight to unify those belts. When you don't do that, you are giving up all rights to said interim belt because it is no longer your choice. Walking around like you still own that shit, not okay. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of bummed that they booked this fight for one reason. Nothing against Robbie Lawler here, but I would love to have seen what Straight Jesus would have done to fucking Colby Covington. Because good fucking night. I'm sure he'd meet him in Whole Foods too somewhere. But... I do have to talk about Kobe a little bit. He does have a very solid wrestling background. It's it's not the most elitist of fucking wrestling backgrounds that we've seen, but he's not. He just he's nowhere near as well rounded as Robbie Lawler is. This is where I'm having such a problem wanting this. I don't. It's because I don't like the way Kobe acts. Look. I get it. You stick by your guns, Colby. Whatever you choose to do, you stick by them. So my hat's off to you for that. At the same time, you're nowhere near as well-rounded as Robbie Lawler. Nor do you have the capability of fucking sleeping power that Robbie Lawler has. Not to mention, you don't have a fucking heart. That man has ten times the heart that you will ever have. If you want to know what kind of heart he has, go back and watch the fight I was talking about earlier between that was him and the current Bellator champ. That was just a fucking barn burner of a fight. At the end, his fucking lip was split completely in fucking half, and you could see his goddamn teeth when he smiled with his mouth closed. Yet he fought on, and it was fucking fantastic. And man, what a war that was. Kobe doesn't have that kind of heart. The only thing he has is little mini megaphones when he shows up to open workouts and then promptly gets escorted off by security because ain't nobody got time for that. That's right. I said it. Ain't nobody got time for that. The only other thing you have going for him is because you're an outspoken megaphone-loving bastard, you have one other mega who will follow you around apparently like a lost puppy dog, which this is where we were talking about that double-edged sword earlier. If said puppy dog shows up, I will shit a goddamn chicken, a coop, and a farmer to go with it. (laughs) Because I don't think it will happen. But if it does, I'm also kind of fucking impressed that 
a president would show up, something like that. Other than that, Toby, you're fucking useless as tits on a bull. And I'm sorry to say, but you ain't getting milked today, son. Um, you're getting let out the pasture. They're going to put one right down the pipe and send you off to the slaughterhouse. Because um, to be honest, you're in line at the slaughterhouse already and you just didn't know it. This one's going to Robbie Lawler and I think he KOs him. I really fucking do. I think it's like mid-second round. Because I'm thinking it's going to take him about a round to get him all filled out. Push off a couple of fucking diving fucking singles or something like that. And yeah, get his timing in. Get his timing in, and then he's going to catch him. Robbie has some fantastic just knockout power. Or at least enough to knock that interim belt off your fucking mind. What I want to know is, how in the fuck do you get an interim belt and then just decide you're not going to take the fight with the champ to try to actually get the belt? Not once, but fucking twice. What kind of fucking tomfoolery is that? Dude, I get you just wanted to parade around with the gold, so you got the gold look. I get it. I get it. Everybody wants to be a winner. You've done fantastic things in other parts of your career, like wrestling. But, um, I want this to be done because there is a lot of fighters that are on the UFC roster. Look for, when you're watching fighters, for those of you that are casual fans or may not know this, there is a certain tattoo that you will see on very solid and good wrestlers is a little map of the United States that is half red, half blue, with a little white streak down the middle. That is the symbol for USA Wrestling. That is an organization that has some of the best top-tier wrestlers in the United States coming out of it. Most UFC fighters that have a solid wrestling background that came from that, you will see that tattoo somewhere on them, whether it's shoulder, chest, back. Colby Covington is no exception. He does have that fucking tattoo. So I will say my hat's off to him when it comes to that. He does have a very good selling wrestling pedigree, but he just doesn't have what it takes to take Robbie Lawler. If you look, when he came up for that interim fight, he never fought a guy of Robbie's caliber. No. Don't get me wrong. RDA, animal, but that was not a – that was – It RDA <laughs> is very different at 170 than he is at 155. I yeah, that's way can that can be described. Yeah, it's 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 like fucking apples and oranges. Well, yeah. That's what we'll call that. So don't get me wrong. I I like I love the idea of this fight, but to be honest, I the only other way I would have liked to have seen this fight play out differently is if they wouldn't have booked it until after Street Jesus fucking killed Ben Askren. Because right. I would have loved to have seen Street Jesus just beat the ever living brakes off Kobe Covington. Don't be wrong, Robbie's going to do it anyways, but I, I've been wanting to see a Robbie Street Jesus match too because I think that would be a fucking fantastic matchup. And that might actually happen with this because of what's currently going on with the belt situation currently with Usman making all these fucking I'm hurt, blah, 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 blah. Dear fighter, shut the fuck up. Like, uh, we've been down this road talking about other people before um, a la fucking somebody getting dropped on their head, but we're not going to mention her, because that doesn't matter. Um, but, all I'm saying, you're a fighter, fight. If you're injured, we get it. But don't keep making excuses why you can't fight the next stop. 
and or don't pretend. Look, right now, Puppy Covington reminds me of my toddler. He's playing the world's biggest game of dress up with that fucking interim belt. It's literally a dress up game. So at the end of the day, you're taking off and you've still never been the champion. You might be thinking in your little head, you were pretending. And man, the game of pretend is fucking fantastic. I play it whenever I can with my kids. And I love it. But not in that sense. You don't do it in front of the public. You keep that shit behind closed doors, you dumb fuck. But, you know, about that. Robbie Lawler, second round. I'm say mid-second round. Like 2.45, three-minute mark. I'm getting a little specific there, but I have a feeling that's going to be it. If I am, I'll probably shit a chicken. But, you know. but I know Robbie Lawler takes this without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think your your prediction on the timing is just about right, because I think Robbie's smart enough to go out. He's going to let Colby try and get his fucking gas out, and he's going to work on his timing, like we were saying. And, and I think it's going to end up being a bad night for Colby. And I think the worst potential here is that God forbid 45 actually fucking shows up on Colby's invitation. And then Colby gets Betch Cohead onto the fucking canvas right in front of his fucking hero. What becomes of the big mouth after that? Do we still see Colby with a fucking MAGA hat and his sunglasses and that stupid fucking pretend belt on his shoulder come Monday morning? Or will this be the humble pie that we've all been waiting for that big mouth son of a bitch to take a bite out of? You know what'll probably happen if that happens? Um, 45 is probably going to enact secret service to take out old Kobe Covington. Can't be having me look bad if you're inviting me to this shit. Right. No, um, I, I agree. I, I think this is going to be a bad night for Colby, despite all the shit that he has talked and all the hype that he has tried to build up around himself. I don't think it's going to go his way. But again, that's one of the fun things about watching MMA like we do we could both be completely wrong and Colby could walk away just astonished, excuse me, astonishingly victorious Saturday night. And there's no way to know until we get to Saturday, but that's all we've got for this episode here. So before we take it all the way out, I do want to take a moment here and thank my favorite casual for showing up and take a moment to thank my Wednesday night brother from another mother, my homeboy, now, if somebody thinks that they've got a better informed idea of the shit that we were just talking here and they want to give you their feedback, how would somebody be able to get a hold of you once this show is over and keep the conversation going, PJ? I say let's do it live. Catch me 930s on YouTube. By all means, come hang out in the fucking chat. I will gladly um, talk shit with you back and forth. Even if it's I'm typing in the chat because we're talking about something else, I will gladly do it with you one way, shape, or form. You know, anywhere where you can find golf tea vapes, I'm here. Let's do it. Thank you very much for your time, brother. Much appreciated. So that is all we've got for this episode. I, I strongly encourage everybody not only to keep your eye out for this Saturday night card, but like we talked about a little bit earlier, there is going to be one hell of a 1FC fight card going down on Friday to get your MMA appetite just rolling for Saturday's early afternoon card a lot of people don't remember saturday's card in newark is an early card prelims start at 11 a.m jersey time main card starts at 2 p.m jersey time 
this start this card will be kicking off at noon central on saturday so if you don't remember here's your fucking reminder saturday is an early card i don't want people to miss it just because we're all so used to the late night cards here but that's what we've got for this evening so if something we said made you chuckle if an opinion that we gave made you stop and think if if you agree with at least most of what you heard us going over today maybe give us a thumbs up consider subscribing if we really tickled your funny bone give one of these episodes a share so you can tell some of the folks that you know about it we're trying to grow this damn show on the other side of that though if you feel like you just wasted two hours listening to two idiots talk shit that they have no idea what they're actually talking about Give us a thumbs down. We deserved it, and I won't dispute that for you in the least bit. But what I will say is that don't let ignorance stop you. To the best of my knowledge, you can root for anything. Have a great night, folks. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was